So tonight with me, I have Mr. Joshua Taylor. So, so excited to have you here. Um, let me tell everybody about you a little bit. Joshua, if you don't know, is he's a guitarist, singer, songwriter. He's based out of here in San Diego. Um, he released his debut album in 2015, and from there set out on this rash of octane, high octane indie tours, right? And then he and his beautiful wife, Sandy King, co-founded the King Taylor Project, and they immediately went on the road with that. They've played hundreds of gigs in um, dozens of cities in the U.S. and Mexico. Um, stylistically, he's funky, greasy guitar playing, buttery voice, and writing style, very incisive and confessional songwriting. So aside from working under your own name and with the King Taylor Project, you work with a lot of other original projects in town as well as some commercial and tribute acts. You're all the things. You're also a private instructor. You're a consultant. You're a podcaster. And it sounds like now you're also a streamer, right? That's right. So yeah. what's, what's the latest that you're working on? What is keeping you super busy right now? Um, right now, it, honestly, it's all about Twitch. So, um, yeah, which is, it, there's this cool, like, cultural overlap for me in particular because I'm a gamer, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not, like, a, a super hardcore gamer. I would describe myself as, like, medium core. But, um, <laughs> like, so Twitch, you know, as a platform has its foundations in gaming culture, but it's expanded to include artists and health and fitness experts and all kinds of stuff. So um, that's consuming my time lately is taking the sort of first few weeks that Sandy and I put into learning how to effectively live stream to YouTube. Okay. And taking some of those technological like lessons and trying to figure out how to translate them onto the Twitch platform and, and also trying some new things musically. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Twitch is really interesting to me. I'm, this is going to make me sound like a total old lady, but I'm just looking into it now, <laughs> kind of figuring it out. Um, I'm definitely not a gamer. My, my daughters love it. Um, but what's the deal? So you're, you're live doing some kind of an activity like gaming or, you know, playing music and everything. And you're just live really having active conversation during that. Is that right? That's right. I mean, the whole the whole thing with Twitch, by the way, and I'm new, I'm fairly new to Twitch, too. Like, I, I really just discovered it. Um, I mean, I'd heard of it, but I really just got on to it a couple months ago. Um, a friend of mine via Sandy, actually, an, an old friend of Sandy's, I gestured vaguely to the rest of the house where Sandy's located. Uh, <laughs> a friend of <laughs> a, uh, a former pro wrestler and like professional actor, entertainer, voice actor, commentator, and he got on Twitch um, his name is AJ Kirsch, by the way, if you want to, if you need something to do and you're looking for a good workout, let at home, a zero equipment workout. He does a really great workout. Oh, nice. Um, but I saw him uh, and started like doing workouts with him on Twitch. Mm -hmm. Started like getting into, it's like any other platform, right? Reddit has its own culture. Instagram has its own etiquette and culture, etc. So, um, but one of the fun things for me about Twitch is that there's this whole like, um, layer of of nerdy gamer jokes that resonated with me, but it's not exclusively for that. But 
the short answer to your question is, yeah, it's more like it's a hangout space, you know? Yeah. Um, YouTube feels a lot, even when it's YouTube live and you have like chat going, mm-hmm. it feels a lot like it's really a transmit only culture that has had this, this live component grafted onto it. That's precisely what's happened to YouTube from a technological historical standpoint. Right. But Twitch was developed from the ground up as an interactive community for people to watch originally to watch other people play games and hang out with them, but it's a hangout from the, so the whole architecture and culture of that platform is built around the interactive experience. So what would you say, what's the audience like? Is there, uh, is it the younger, the younger people hanging out there or is there, do you find a, a, you know, a variety, a variety of ages and people's? I'm continually surprised. I, I don't have a full read on it yet, but um, there, for sure what I can tell by the streamers I follow and mm-hmm. I'm hanging out in, there's a huge, there's, there's certainly a huge like 18 to 30 demo on there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not kids, kids. It's like, I mean, they're on there as well, but um, a lot of the, the platforms, like a lot of the channels I hang out in, there's they're like a set set to mature audiences, so it's going to be, at the very least, not not teens and kids. Um, but there's a lot in that age group and older, because if you think about the gaming culture, you know, um, I don't know how you how old you are, but I think we're roughly the same age, and and our generation was the first, you know, early Xers, or I mean, sorry, late Xers, early millennials were the first generation to like where gaming wasn't just for kids you know yeah that's true ubiquitous like adults now are so that's kind of reflected in the twitch demographic as well there's plenty of people at least up to 40 really before there's a fall off from what i can tell yeah that's great i mean we are so fortunate i think i have said this to everybody that you know if if this was going to happen in the world if we were going to live through a pandemic um, and still be able to, um, you know, get music out there, this would be the time because there's so many platforms to do it on. There's so many opportunities. And I can't imagine what it would have been like without those things. So it's, you know, it's nice to know that, you know, you can look in a couple different directions and keep things moving for yourself, right? Yeah, totally. Did you have a home studio set up before all of this, or have you actively been adding to it to stream? Um, yes and no. I mean, over the years, first when I was a hobbyist, before I sort of like made the transition to really being very serious about music and doing it full time for like income, mm-hmm. I had some stuff. You know, I had this and that mic, and I sort of was learning how to work in a DAW. Um, so over the years, I've I've bought and sold some mics and had a way overblown like sound treatment and too much stuff and then sold it and had too little stuff and found I needed. Um, but right before, right going into this, we basically had, you know, like we have, this is a high, you know, it's a performance condenser. It's a condenser, but it's, it's what I, I would gig with this mic. Mm-hmm. We basically took um, a good chunk of our live rig and adapted it for home studio use. Yeah. And I have a good interface. I've got a, a Focusrite 
you know, in the Scarlet series, which a lot of folks have. It's a great interface. But it's very minimal, honestly. It's like interface, laptop, Logic Pro, and a couple of decent mics, and no isolation or treatment in this room at all. And you really can, you can do so much on the DAW at this point to, to fix imperfect recording environments, especially for streaming. It doesn't have to, you know, quality. So when it came to streaming, though, what what was the gear? What were the um, you know technical aspects of that that you had to get into? Because I've looked into it, uh, and as I've looked into it, I'm like, mm, no, <laughs> too much. But you know, I hate to I hate to do to do that with anything or a good opportunity. But you know, what what do you think is the basic minimum setup to get into it? Well, um, it, so you got to start first with um, picking a platform, I actually think is the best place to start first. Yeah. Um, and then the platform you pick will inform your gear decisions. So um, the reason I say that is that, for instance, if you want to go live on Instagram, mm -hmm. it is perfectly acceptable to put your phone, lean your phone up against a book and if you've got the distance right and you're not clipping the mic and you know if you're playing electric guitar through an amp or if you're singing in an acoustic space you can really if you're reaching an audience then that's perfectly acceptable i've seen like big art like cory henry i i pop into his instagram lives i'm a huge cory henry fan and a lot of his live instagram he's just got the phone like yeah like propped up somewhere so but there's a platform limitation there, right? So um, Facebook and Instagram, you can stream live from your phone and you can make incremental upgrades there too. If you have, for instance, a, um, a, an interface or a microphone that's compatible with mobile and will plug in via whatever connector your phone uses, okay. have a microphone there. There's an instant upgrade to the, the internal mic in your phone and, and you can go from there and scale. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the problem when you start jumping platforms, this is why I say you have to think about the platform first, is if you go to YouTube, um, you can't stream direct from mobile unless you have at least a thousand followers. Subscribe. Ah, okay. Right? So now you get into this whole other realm, which um, is, a, is a choice that you can make for any platform, but it's mandatory in YouTube if you don't have a thousand followers, which is that you've got to start running some kind of broadcasting software from your computer. Mm, okay. Ah. Yeah, it, it gets complicated from there. But in general, it's like, like anything else, right? You go, you look at the start of the signal chain, and you look at the end of it. The end of it is your listeners ears. The start of it is your mouth and instrument. Yeah. And as the setup demands more, you have more things in between. So uh, if you're upgrading from your phone, the most basic um, setup is that you're going to need a um, you're going to need some kind of audio interface to get mm -hmm. sound into your computer, and you're going to need some kind of a broadcast software to take that sound input and put it package it into a stream that gets transmitted. The most common solution for that is a free open source program called OBS, which I would recommend anyone look into. So what are you finding um, you're getting the best response from with the stuff that you're streaming? What are you streaming, by the way? 
Um, that's changed over time. So when, when we first um, started figuring out, when I say we, Sandy and I first started figuring out, um, okay, we need to we need to have some like virtual gigs. This is like first month after shutdown. Okay. So mid-March into, into like basically through the end of April, um, we were streaming like traditional live sets via YouTube. So we would come up with a set list. We would take requests in chat. Mm-hmm. And so we would, through some combination of new requests and things that were already in our repertoire, we would just make a set list, perform it at the audience, talk to them between, and that was our format. And that's that's a really, really great way to get started or maybe even just, that could be your whole platform. Right. Um, when I decided to, so we took a break after like when in May, much like I'm sure you felt it and a lot of other musicians have felt it. Um, you know, we hit a wall. It's it's cyclical. The motivation and the depression or anxiety or whatever around what's my identity? Do I matter to society anymore? Am I essential? Is do people care about music? All the things you worry about in a under the best circumstances are amplified now. Yeah. And so we hit this wall and had to sort of like reset. And so um I looked at that as an opportunity to go what am I curious about? Like, what do I, um, what do I want to know or know how to do or explore that the normal environment of steady gigging doesn't really either afford the time or the energy for? Yeah. And so I got into Ableton. I've never been to into a like electronically produced music or virtual instruments or any of that. It's never been my thing. Okay. Um, but incrementally, it has become so appealing to me. Partly because I I work with Johnny Tarr quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, in a couple of different situations, and I love Johnny. And one of the things that I notice by virtue of like the way that you have friends who introduce you to things that you might not be open to otherwise is like, man, that guy really makes this electronic thing super hip. It doesn't, it doesn't sound sterile. Like it has a lot of life and soul and that opened my ears up. Mm, okay. So, so anyway, the short answer is that on Twitch, my aim is to fuse um, creating grooves in real time in Ableton and talking the audience through it. Cause again, it's this hang culture. You don't have to be polished and prepped. Yeah. like cover in front of your audience mm-hmm. and then fuse that with live guitar performance and laying down rhythm parts and take it and just improvising over it. And so it's like kind of like the same idea as what a looper might do at a, at a venue, but you're also, there's this craft and production value into it. So that's kind of what I'm working on right now. Yeah. Awesome. I, I totally agree with your mindset about trying to figure out, all right, well, if I don't have that normal thing that I'm doing, what else have I been interested in? And I, you know, I have been through the same process myself, um, working in my band. Um, we, we'd become so busy, um, that I think I had felt I've fallen into this comfort zone, just loving what I did so much with them, but also in the background, knowing that, um, 
there was a lot more that I wanted to do, but just didn't quite have the time. And I had all the gear kind of sitting, <laughs> sitting in my office, just waiting. Um, so when this hit, uh, it was, it was one of those times where, you know, I, I knew that there was going to have to be some kind of a pivot somewhere, but it just, it just kind of forces you into those, um, creative spaces and it's it's somewhere that I honestly I mean if I'm being honest I think I was afraid to go into because I had the comfort of being in a successful band already so why, why would I look outside of that you know <laughs> but um, it's and I'm not minimizing the terrible effects that this has had on everybody but looking for a silver lining in it um, you know, there really are, there's a lot of great things coming from it. And, and I'm, I'm happy that I've had this time to be forced into, you know, doing a little something else. Totally. Um, you, you kind of, you kind of leaned into this thing. Is it, is it okay? How topical are you comfortable getting on this? Anything. Okay. So I do want to say another thing that has been hugely beneficial to me is Sandy and I are white soul musicians. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the, that's the easiest, most concise way to describe us. Okay. And um, clearly we owe a massive, massive debt to the history of black music, black artists, and black culture. Yeah. And so there's this sort of like tacit awareness that that's a thing. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I have been paying attention to more lately now that racial tension has again resurfaced with this massive wound that has um, never gone away in this country um, is that I have noticed figures in my personal life um, who I, ha I have a very strong mother and um, who went through a lot of personal hardship and um, overcame a lot of adversity to give me the opportunities I had growing up. So for one thing, my eyes are always, I always notice strong women, but I also have been noticing a particular kind of strength in the strong black women that I've been around. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that that has taught me is that there's a certain strength and dignity in enduring uh, hardship and adversity and uh, but taking what's yours like whether that's your space on the stage being bold on stage being confident and projecting this thing and so I, it's it's related to me more in the abstract I don't know if I could articulate anything beyond that but but with all of that stuff swimming around in my head um, I have really sort of paid more attention to the fact that we as artists get really insecure sometimes for really small, insignificant reasons. Yeah. And I think about people with any kind of adversity, whether it's, it's something that is, whether it's based on the color of their skin or their sexual preference or their political affiliation or their citizenship status, all these different reasons, their gender, all these different reasons that people have had to fight and, and, and still take up their own space. And it, and as a, as a white male American, I think, well, shit, I mean, like, 
I, I really should be standing firmly on my own two feet and using this platform to not necessarily always, I don't think that you need to make political statements, but I think that whatever you have in your artistic voice to declare, to declare that boldly. And if people in less privileged circumstances can be that bold, it's what an incredible challenge and role model that is to me to go like, well, what excuse do I have? Let, let me stand up and be bold. I can do that. Yes. So that's been really inspiring too. Yeah. Yeah. I, that totally resonates with me too. I think that um, one of the things that really hit me about it was music, being a musician is so much about self-promotion and when it is a lot about self-promotion, there's so much fear and anxiety and self-doubt to overcome in the midst of that. So it, you kind of develop this, uh, or I'll only speak for myself, I develop this bubble of, um, or a smaller headspace where you're, you're, you begin to be so calculated with um, what you're gonna put out there and question every artistic move that you make and, um, I just think in the midst of this, you, that you're, you're totally right, that it seems that in like one fell swoop, so many things have been just done away with that don't matter anymore. There's so many things that I thought were so important, you know, in that, uh, that now in the light of all of this, I'm like, oh, God, it just, it just doesn't matter, you know? And it's, uh, it's, daunting on one hand but at the same time it's um there's so much freedom in that i think you know i mean there's uh, there's so much work to do going forward but um but i think um, some of the constraints have been lifted somewhat or they're in the process of it for sure i i am um, i was just thinking about responsibility and duty come to mind for me a lot yeah um I don't know. You know, I was, I was raised in the Midwest. You know, I, I grew up in Oklahoma City. Um, and I was in the Navy for nine years. Hmm. And I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe, I mean, surely that has contributed to it. Um, but to me, as an artist, um, I, I still see it through that lens of duty. Like, what, what is my role in society, mm -hmm. right? Um, it can't just be, I don't want to say can't because everyone has their own experience, right? But for me, I wouldn't be satisfied just um, looking at it through the what do I want to do and why. Like that's part of it, but it can't stop there for me. So for me, a big part of the purpose is going, and, and, and part of the empowerment too is going, I have a responsibility, even if it's tiny to the, you know, my, my solo album went double plywood. So, but to those few hundred people, <laughs> like they're going to hear some message and, and they walked up to the mic stand at the bar or went on to band camp or something moved them to buy that music. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, whether it's not necessarily about making overt social statements, although that can be a huge, important impact that an artist can make but just the the lens that you see the world through and you're writing about love or heartbreak or interpersonal relationships or or other things right whatever else music is about 
um, like you have a worldview that is ex always expressed through what you're crafting. Yeah. And so that's another thing I've been thinking a lot about since um, COVID has basically forced us all to slow down. Yeah. Is to go like, what is my personal artistic voice? And am I, and am I, am I leaning into that in a way that responsibly uses whatever I have in me to give to the world around me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally do. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, if me talking to, you know, a younger singer or somebody who's getting into the business now more than ever, I would stress knowing why you're doing it. Like you're saying, always knowing that and holding that as, you know, a core driving force in everything that you're doing and not to be easily sideswept into um, these channels that we go down that are so easy to get sucked into, which is, um, well, if I just change my set list up a little bit to please this audience or this particular venue or whatever, I'll at least get a crowd in tonight, you know? Um, and then things like that lead to one thing, to another, to another. And, um, and then you find yourself in this place where you're thinking, you know, why am I doing this? How, how did I get to this place? And so I think this is, you know, a really opportune time to really, really focus on why you're doing something and to never, never lose sight of that um, because the world has enough um, commercial, enough standard, enough molded uh, product out there, you know, and the, really the, I think the, the people that are coming to the forefront now are people who really have something to say, you know, really have something to offer, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned your mom before. Um, did you have a musical family or, you know, where does your musicianship come from? Um, so my mom is a classically trained singer. Um, she grew up singing um, and performing in like mostly formal settings. And um, I mean, that goes back to her father, her, her. So my grandfather was a Marine. He's a World War II vet. Um, and he was injured in the Guadalcanal campaign. And when he came back, one of the things that he was told might help him for physical therapy, he had a lung collapse by a mortar round that went through his body. And, and I guess some physician along the way told him like, hey, if you learn to sing opera, you're going to develop lung capacity in the remaining lung. And so that was kind of the start on my mom's side of the musical thing. Yeah. Was that My grandfather learned to sing opera. And then my mother went through classical training and she went into music um, early on, um, you know, when she was late teens, early, early 20s. And then um, she had my brother and and then she had me and, you know, life kind of took another turn for her. But that love of music, um, I grew up with that in the house. So there no no professional working musicians in the house growing up, but a very musical mother. Yeah. Um, and my biological father, you know, it's part of my narrative. I didn't grow up with him, but um, he was a songwriter. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's in there for sure. You know, environmentally, it was always like music was just always 
playing in the house and I had that sort of like, you know, that vague subconscious awareness of musicality in the family. Yeah. What came first for you? Was it singing or guitar playing? Um, for me personally, singing, um, man, it, this is so funny. I, I, I was so late as a performer, like I, my first public performance, I'm 30, I'll be 37 this year. My first public performance, I was 28. Okay. I didn't do, wow. I didn't, like my friends kept like in high school. I remember a lot of my friends would um, say like, man, you should please come like hang out with us and be in the musicals and do all this fun stuff. Cause I, you know, I mean, you sing and your friends kind of go like, Oh yeah, he's got a voice. And I, and I, um, I did, I, I did play clarinet for two years as a kid at like middle school. So that's where I actually originally learned to read music um, a little bit. And, um, but like, yeah. And then I picked up guitar when I was 13, but it was always a hobby. So um, singing came first as just like a thing that you just did around the house. My mom and I would sing, you know, it was the, so I grew up in the eighties in the, in the late eighties. Um, my early childhood was, I remember Tracy Chapman's first record. I remember, Kenny Loggins and Richard Marks being on in the house and Don Henley's solo records and all of that stuff. And then the old Laurel Canyon stuff. And I would just sing along with all of that music. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was first for me. For yeah. Sure. And what were you doing before you got into music? Are, are you full-time music? I am. So, okay. but yeah. So in my adult life, the first thing I did, uh, I went to the Naval Academy. That's so my, my, that's where I got my undergrad degree and my undergrad education was a Naval Academy, which is a, a federal service academy in Annapolis, Maryland. And I was commissioned as an ensign in the U.S. Navy and got a Bachelor of Science in History. And I served active duty on, as a surface warfare officer on ships on the East Coast. And I did a couple of tours on, on guided missile destroyers. Um, and then I did a tour with the 101st in Afghanistan as my, as my last tour. And so that took me through, um, gosh, I would have been 20... Yeah, I would have been 27, 28 when I got out. And um, I came back to the U.S. having already had the intent to, like, make the transition into a musical career. Okay. Um, that was kind of there in the background. But, you know, a couple of, like, life circumstances made it difficult. Um, I, I didn't really know. I mean, like many people, like many of your – we were talking about this earlier. Some of the folks that you're, you're talking to about, like, who are aspiring to um, a life at least somewhat in music. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very difficult to know, like, there's not like a music – there's not like a music uh, company that you just go – No. I, apply I, at. <laughs> apply a musician like it it doesn't work that way do you so, have any openings <laughs> right. um so i spent you know i spent some time um really just like i guess i'll go to these open mics i guess mm-hmm. i will practice i i'm self-taught so like a big part of it for me the discipline was like okay i want to learn some th- I really want to understand the transition from bedroom musician to like performing paid musician is one that I, I, it's hard to prepare somebody for because I don't, um, you know, there's all these things that are important to being a, a performer that you don't realize, especially me. Cause I didn't grow up doing musicals and singing in choirs. So I had this other layer of performative aspect of music to learn, but, um, 
Yeah. So that, that was the, that was the false start there. And then at one point I was like, shit, I need to grow up and get a real job. Um, this music thing is not going to work out. So I'm like, or, or maybe it will, but maybe in the background. So I'm like 30 at this point, And I, um, I went to grad school for um, counseling psychology. Okay. So I was training to be a marriage and family therapist. And I went through two years of grad school and completed my practicum. I did, you know, a bunch of therapy with kids and adults and groups and all that stuff. And, and then there I am, it's like, I'm 32 at this point. I finished grad school, um, which is a, it's a whole other story. Um, but I, so I finished like 99% of the requirements for grad school, but I'm not happy. And I, I realize I've been running from music, but I'm addicted to it, like deeply, like helplessly addicted to making music. Yeah. And by the way, as an aside, for anyone who's looking to get into music, that is the thing. That is your North Star. That is the thing that will save your ass because it is not easy. But it, it doesn't matter that it's not easy if you're hopelessly addicted to it. Right. Because you, your pursuit of craft is the thing that will keep you coming back time and again. And you'll, you can't let it go because it's, it's in you. So, you know, if you've got that in you or you think you might have it, try to foster it. Because there, there really are easier, there are so many easier ways to make a living. Um, which circles back, by the way, to what you said about like, if I alter my set list here and I do this there, well, shit, if we want, if we wanted to bend over and do what somebody else told us to do, why don't we do that way better paid in a whole other environment? Right. Yeah. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, like full respect for the pragmatism of like, I've, I've done plenty of it. I will probably make compromises continuing to go forward. Like you have to make them sometimes, but you don't want to, if you've chosen to be an artist, you don't want to live a life of compromise because it's, you're, you're straddling the fence and, and it's just not worth it. Like go do the other thing. It's way easier. But if you really have that addiction and that need for the music and that pursuit of craft being at the focal point, you, you just don't care. Like the obstacles hurt but they never for a second make you think i gotta quit this well <laughs> you may have that in dark times but you won't do it because you just can't right yeah 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 that that makes me want to ask this hard question and um you don't have to have the right answer or even an answer if you don't but i'm curious to know with where we're at uh I'm a firm believer that there are lots and lots of ways for musicians to um, earn a living outside of um, being on stage, you know, um, tons of things online. Um, I won't get into all of them right now, but um, I think those of us who have primarily earned our living being on stage, you know, are in this like panic mode and maybe even a mindset of okay i can't wait until all this is done then i can you know get my life back i can get my finances in order but um there's a lot of unknowns right now there's a lot of uncertainty and i mean um i'm trying to be hopeful you know that things will come back sooner than later but have you thought about um 
if it takes quite a, a while longer, what will you do? Um, the, the first thing before the specifics of that answer is sort of like what I think of as the meta answer. Okay. Um, I have circled back to this thing I used to say to my friends when I was in my early 20s that then was naive, but now maybe is just a weird, not nihilistic, but this sort of like counterpoint to optimism, which is just like, I just think it's just life, bro. You know, like that's my colloquialism. It's just life. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just life. Like that. So it, I, that sounds really vague, but what I'm getting at is that um, if you take as the starting point that we are these organisms, if you zoom out to like the, the Carl Sagan, Neil deGrasse Tyson level, and you take for a starting point that we're, we're just these organisms that are living on this rock that's hurtling through space, blah, 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 right? Then everything else is just sort of like, what are you doing with your time while you're here? Yeah. And, um, you know, everyone, you know, people have different um, worldviews, obviously, but my, mine is sort of like, it's, it's fixated a little bit it's it's sort of planted in the in the immediately um, experiential, and so I think if um, if I can m maintain some semblance of of peace with my mindset, um, my friend, who I'm sure you know, a lot of viewers will know, Josh Weinstein is very fond of the term equanimity. Yeah. And, um, I've learned a lot about his application of that word. And it's really just like, you just have to find, you're gonna get anxious, you, things are gonna be scary. Um, but the solution is not, it's less in whatever the solution to your current anxiety is and more with accepting that you're just gonna be anxious sometimes and things are gonna be scary. Mm -hmm. And we all eventually end up in the ground, right? I mean, we do, that's a fact of life. and if you look at this arc as this beautiful, interesting ride that you get to paint with whatever colors are available to you, it's not, you know, not everyone has all the paint available to them. That's just a, a harsh reality of life, but you have what's in front of you mm -hmm. and you have the canvas presented to you and you get to paint that. Okay. So now out of the hippy dippy and into the specific. So what am I going to, I, I think a lot about untethering myself from the, the geographically oriented gig economy. Okay. Um, much like I'm sure um, the greatest generation thought very often about how do we make ourselves immune to depression, to, to, to like our economic depression, right? That mm -hmm. we are now like we were, we will all be impacted forever by the experience of COVID, right? Both from a, from a sociological, a health, like an epidemiological standpoint, a financial standpoint so it will be in our mind frame forever that that is possible yeah but one of the things you can do with that is, is as an artist is think about like you said what are what are all the ways that artists can um make money from their craft and that that's not a new question artists have always trying to figure been trying to figure out how to how to hustle and and 
swindle uh, straight society, you know, like yeah. kind of live on that fringe. So, um, so for me, I have found a partial hope in streaming that, because that interests me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking to Twitch and Patreon and whatever else emerges as and remote session work and all of that stuff as as ways of um sort of detaching a little bit from the um from the like covers for money reality that most of us live in mm-hmm. and um, not to detach entirely from it but to make myself less dependent on it yeah. and that's just one way i mean the the solutions are as as limitless as wonderfully creative minds of all the artists around us are right right right. was that an answer was that a little too yeah i like that answer a lot too i really really do um i think had you asked me this question um a couple of months ago i i would not have been able to you know answer that because um i think well just speaking for myself I've spent so much time trying to work my career to a certain level for who knows what reason, right? You and you work and you work and you work, um, and then for something like this to hit and to just yank the rug right out from underneath you, you know, um, and then on top of that, things change every single day. You know, there's there's a new answer or there's a new problem every single day. So there's just there's just nothing to build anything upon right now. Um, but I think what that has taught me is that it's OK. <laughs> you know, it is OK. And I am I am so at peace with the idea of just living another iteration of my life if this continues um just to be clear though i mean i miss my band more than i can possibly tell you right now and i want to be back with them so badly and you know and for all of us you know i want that back but i i do believe that um no matter what we're we're all going to be okay we'll all adapt and the way the world works is you know there's a lot of problem solvers out there and there's people actively coming up with brilliant ideas and opportunities um, every day. And if you just keep your eyes open and you keep um, an open heart and open mind towards those things, something will come up, you know, um, in that it doesn't really matter what level, I guess, if you think of things in terms of that, um, of your career, but just think of it as, um, more of a present journey. I think that's what you were trying to say at the beginning, where you're just focused on right now. Totally. You know, what happened before doesn't matter, but what's right in front of me right now? What what do I have to work with? You know, I think that that would really ease the mind of a lot of people just to, you know, and it's, it's not trying to be impractical because, I mean, I have two children, so I realize, you know, you have to take care of your your families and you've got to pay the bills one way or another. But um, I have enough um, confidence that that I'm able to do that in one way or another. Um, but I think it's been um, it's a been a big relief just to know that, God, you know, something that that has gone away that I 
thought I couldn't live without before and knowing that I'm doing great, you know, um, it really changes the way you look at everything, totally. you know? I mean, these things that um, really are important are the things that are emerging. It's crazy. The artist is like, the, the musician is, is intrinsic to you, right? It's not, a, it's not a function of your circumstances. Like that person you are, um, if you take that as a given, yeah. you find ways to make that happen. I, I'm not a parent, um, but like I imagine that as a mother, there's no, you never, you never look at challenge with your children as like, well, I'm just going to put the wrench down to borrow Louis. <laughs> like, I'm just done. Okay, I'm fine. You, I guess I'll go find another family. This one's not working out. <laughs> you take for granted, right? I mean, there, you take as a starting point your mom, and there's no, um, not only escaping, but there's no intent or uh, or any kind of desire to distance yourself from that reality. And if you take, I think if you take um, the other parts of your identity with that same attitude, mm-hmm. you just find ways to bend the other stuff in your life around serving that central identity. Yeah. 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 Well, ah, it's, it really is incredible. And I just, I find myself, you know, every day, um, I have a lot of things right now that, um, that are potentially, you know, income earners for me. Um, I've, I've poured a lot of my time and energy lately, lately more into my um, coaching practice, which I've loved and I've always had the intention of building, but just had um, limited time, you know, to offer to it. So I'm loving being a part of that. And, um, you know, I've always wanted to be um, more active in songwriting and proving my musicianship. And, you know, this just kind of opens the door for all of that to happen and um i just i find a lot of hope in that you know it makes me feel pretty good but um message with your um with your interview with carissa too that was kind of what you guys were talking about right Yeah. yeah yep there's a lot of opportunity in it um before this happened um you kind of hinted at this uh before you know in in the musician's life, it's a lot of, you know, ups and downs and a lot of, you know, wins and failures just constantly. Um, But I think we get to a point where we kind of expect it and it kind of becomes routine and you get used to it and you, you, you know, get a thick skin and um, you're able to take it and process it. Um, And that it, it is just, it's just all a part of it. And it's what I think grows you and develops you as a professional and, um, you know, a decent human being, I guess. But um, looking back, can you think of um, anything that compares to a time like this or any spot in your career where you did consider turning away from it or going and doing something else? <laughs> well, my flip answer is like every time I take a, every time I take a bad solo, I'm like, I should just. <laughs> I quit. Yeah, I quit. <laughs> Um, but of course, those are never really serious or lasting. Um, let's see. I mean, uh, what artist does not 
uh, go through regular crippling self-doubt where you're like, I'm a fraud. I'm just waiting for them to figure it out. Um, you know, I start like for me, some part of my narrative is like, I started too late. Like I don't have enough years to get um, momentum before I'm too old to be interesting. Like that's right. I mean, all these little things you, you will find irrational ways to shoehorn self-doubt between you and your goals. It's just part of like our, our fundamental dissatisfaction as human beings. And, um, and some of us, you know, like we all have our own way of struggling with that, but I think that's pretty ubiquitous, right? Like this isn't Mm -hmm. like, when is this going to end? Like what, what I get, like, I'm, I, I sing and, and shake my butt and play guitar or whatever your thing is. And they pay and they like, somehow I get to pay my water bill. Like, I don't understand. I still don't understand how it works. Um, so, I mean, I can't, the biggest points of wanting to quit for me have always come um, not as, as a real result of something that happened in the real world, but as a result of some minor setback that I amplified with existing self-doubt. Okay. Um, I, uh, when I did my first album, I was just I'm the only album I have out. I was so ecstatic to go in and record that. I had great musicians, a great, uh, like a great producer. It was a funky little studio here in San Diego that was just, we were scrappy, you know? Mm-hmm. It was super fun. And then um, it's been five years. Mm, okay. And so I haven't left music, but in a way that is an ongoing self-doubt. Like I was working on, um, uh, we had sessions scheduled in April for, I was going to cut my sophomore album, yeah. all the material, uh, King Taylor Project, we were cutting two singles, same band. Um, we had just come off this really fun, amazing session with um, for Lauren Lee's um, EP. Yeah. And the same band, the low keys are basically, it's King Taylor Project. It's the same okay. almost, almost like, it's like out of the same pool of people. Um, and we had come off this wonderful experience and I had watched this friend of mine cut this amazing record. And I thought, I'm not that good. Mm. Like who gives a shit like what I have to say. And, and so it's the best answer I can give is that anytime um, that there's a goal that you have to accomplish that requires you um, making some assumption that something you've created has value. Uh, I, I come right up against that. I should quit thing. That voice is in there Yeah. every time. Yeah. Yeah. So true. I, I feel that way. I go through that cycle of emotion every time, um, I create a Facebook post, honestly, you know, <laughs> or an Instagram post. <laughs> I go through all the stages. Oh, what am I? What am I saying? Who cares? Yeah, who cares about this? Yeah. Delete. <laughs> yes. Um, speaking of Facebook, um, there's a lot of people out there joining us, and I keep looking over here because I'm trying to keep up with the comments, but it's a little weird. Um, well, we've got um, speaking of Lauren Lee Martin, she's out there watching. Hi, Lauren. And um, Natalie Lanning, T.J. Clay from Nashville. And Lauren says, um, Joshua, you are so much better than the best version you've come up for yourself. Did I, I hope I said that right. That's 
Wow. That's my, that's my sister from another mister. Um, yeah. Okay. So right there, by the way, for aspiring artists or people who are trying to get into the scene and maybe that is comments like that from people who love you is really what it's all about. Yeah. You, you, I can't tell you how much I lean on my village and Lauren is a part of that village. Mm-hmm. And, um, maybe that's another thing that's beautiful about COVID is again, you know, not, I, yeah, I, I feel cringy saying that because of course it's a, there's a tragic human cost to this, right? We, we, we that goes without saying, but if we, um, if we look at, how much we've had to learn to lean on each other or or remind ourselves that we lean on each other. The last gig I had, the the last two gigs I had before, um, before gigs dried up were I had one with Joe Cardillo and Josh Weinstein. That was just this fun hit downtown at whiskey girl Mm -hmm. being clowns and having a good time. And that was really cool. And um, that's like one little fragment of my village. And then this other experience, um, I got to do the seaside gig with Rebecca for the first time, with Rebecca Jade. Mm-hmm. And um, I've done it once since as well. But what that one experience um, brought to the forefront is that people really respond to this music. Like when you go play to the backs of heads or, or um, to people sort of like spilling their wine on your purse or, or tripping over your stuff at corporate gigs or private gigs or whatever. Sometimes it can, you can get a little cynical. It's too easy. It's such an easy temptation to get cynical about it. But then you have something like Seaside and you remember those people are at those gigs too. Those same people who are out there being moved by what you're doing mm-hmm. are out in the world at your, it's maybe the the people off to the side at your brunch gig or at the winery or whatever, they're out there and they care and they're responding. And, um, and it's, it's that and the people in your village um, who give you those opportunities um, and support you and say beautiful things when you're feeling self-conscious on a Facebook interview or um people like Rebecca who give you this recommendation to put, put me, my name in front of you um, so that I could have this opportunity. I mean, that's really what holds you up through all the hard times. Yeah, that's so true. And I think you made a great point about um, the fact that there are people out there that uh, really do care. I think it, you can become very cynical and very like jaded when you're, especially in the online world where, where, um, your only feedback on something is a like count yeah. you know, or, or something like that. But when you do keep in mind that um, whether it's two people or, you know, a, co- a congregation full of people, um, you're, you're impacting somebody and it really means a lot to somebody what, you, what you're doing. And if only we approached every gig like that, you know, if only we approached like every um every song we wrote or sang or um you know just imagine you know the kind of music that we would make it's just uh it's so easy to get um 
very mechanical, you know, about it, or I don't know if that's the word, but yeah. yeah. And I think, I think the people around us, our village of musicians, they can see it too. You know, they can see when that's happening, when they're the ones, you know, observing us. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, of course, like realistically, you're going to go through that, right. You're going right. to show up and do the same set list you've done at, you have like your go-to, okay, this is my two hour, uh, corporate like black tie set list and this is my you know my wedding socal wedding set list this is my winery set you're gonna go through those phases of uninspiration where you're just kind of like but you're still for one thing you're still always working on craft mm -hmm. and performance and two that's human like every day is not inspiring even when you're an artist like it's just not and the most important thing is acknowledging that humanity and being open to those wake up calls and those moments of inspiration and leaning into them when they come and going like, yeah. I don't wake up every day um, thrilled, but I wake up every day thankful for the opportunity to put the work into something that I've chosen and knowing that 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 excitement could come at any moment when you least expect it. And so I'm just going to keep laying brick, you know, like keep building it and, and be ready for it. When it comes.